Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Jungle Marie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We have good texter survey stuff because we want to talk about quarterbacks. And I want to find out what you guys think of what you saw from Kyle McCord on Saturday and then what Ryan Day said about Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud on Tuesday when Ryan Day said C.J. Stroud is the starter when healthy. And it seems like he's getting back toward healthy. We will talk mostly about the quarterbacks. I think I want us to get a handle on that. We'll let Steven do five minutes on the basketball Buckeyes. They had their media day on Tuesday. So we'll check in there briefly and, you know, then see what's what. But I do think Nathan, does it, are we still at the point that quarterbacks are sort of the news of the day with Ohio state as we had Ryan day on Tuesday Matt Barnes, who we talked to for a long time, the guy now calling the signals defensively, plus Luke Whipler and Haskell Garrett. I do think there's interesting stuff with Barnes we need to get to, but do you feel like there's still some percolating stuff with the quarterbacks that people are interested in? Or is that starting to wane? The interest level there, is it waning because Ryan Day is like C.J. Stroud's the guy? I still think the interest level is pretty high because I think there are multiple camps right now, right? I think there's the people who are intrigued by Stroud and think that there is is something good happening there. And then there are people who almost have completely moved on after three games and want to see Com Accord more, even if they agree that he didn't blow the, blow the doors off the place last week. Um, and I think now people are very intrigued from looking at our texts that we got back from, from the things I was sending out from the news conference today. Um, I, I think people are now sort of trying to calibrate what they see with what Ryan day says he sees and what that means and how they're supposed to respond to that. So I think there's definitely interest there. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's Ohio state's quarterback. And I don't think anybody, even someone like myself who said earlier this week, well, I expect CJ Stroud to start. And I think he probably should the next game. Um, nobody, I think thinks this is hundred percent settled. And it's something that's going to keep being a bit of a, I wouldn't say a fluid situation because Ryan Day seems committed to CJ Stroud, but the door is certainly open for something to happen over the course of this season. And as long as that's the case, I think it's going to remain a high topic of interest. So let, let me say this. 
every job is open if the guy holding it doesn't play well, right? That's normal. But, you know, I'm trying to think, like, who's the best player? Who's the, like, say Thayer Munford went healthy. Or say Nicholas Petit Frere. I mean, how many awful games in a row? Because he is healthy and he's played well. How many awful games in a row would Nicholas Petit Frere have to have before they were like, you're not the starting left tackle anymore. We don't know what happened to you, but you're not it. I don't know if there's any number. I think they might guess just get to the end of the year and he could just be allowing eight sacks a game. And I still think they would be like, well, this isn't him. He's better than this. He'll get it back. And then he gives up eight sacks again. And Nicholas Petit Frere, I'm only using you because you are a very good player who seems very confident in himself right now and is a great guy to talk to. It has everything going for him. So you don't care if I use you in a hypothetical example. Right. So I would say, so I'm saying, hey, anybody can lose their job. But it's like, I have no idea how Nicola, how a healthy Nicholas Petit Frere would lose his job. Right. So we know what I'm talking about here. If CJ Stroud's healthy, and the health is, of course, the complicating factor, what percent is he the starter, do you think? Nathan, you sort of just brought it up like, oh, it's it feels like it's not locked down. What percent lockdown is it right now in your mind? With knowing that, hey, CJ Stroud is much less established than Nicholas Petit Frere. So if Nicholas Petit Frere is like a, you know, basically a hundred, and you know, a guy where you know, guys where they literally, you know, mine Williams and Master Teague right now, as far as who the number two running back is, I would say that's a zero because you have no idea who the number two running back is going to be like week to week based on how they practice, which is what something you've been saying, Nathan and Ryan Day kind of confirmed that today. So if Nicholas Petit Frere is a hundred. He'd have to play terrible forever to lose his job. Master Teague and Mayan Williams are practically practice to practice for the number two running back job, right? That's Those are our parameters. Where is C.J. Stroud when he's healthy as the starting quarterback between the 100 and the zero? Nathan first, then Steven. I'm going to say like 77% right okay. now. Steven, what do you think? 90 because yeah. here's what I'm trying to figure out, though. The way that Ryan Day talks about C.J. Stroud and the way Ryan Day talks about Com Accord, how much of it is a blunt assessment of both of them and how much of it is motivational or whatever individual to each of them? Does he talk about them differently for a reason? I think I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving some space open for that. I think C.J. Stroud came with a little bit of understanding because of the opponents he was playing and the circumstances. Kyle McCord played, as Ryan Day put it, inconsistent against Akron. And it agreed. Agreed. The other the thing that is a little weird to me is that Kyle McCord is is still a true freshman that CJ Correct. didn't get in games last year, but he was a, you know, he was around kind of at least six months more than Kyle. Is it possible? Is Ryan Day coaching CJ Stroud LA style and he's coaching Kyle McCord Philly style? Or South Jersey style. Maybe. I, I get it. That's what I'm talking about. That's why yeah. I, I, we, we are still very early in. I mean, remember, I know Ryan Day's been here a while. But at least as a head coach, he's had Justin Fields for two years when it was clear that Justin Fields was going to take every snap that he was like alive to be able to take. So this is the first time we've gone through him, gone through experience with him where we're trying to kind of read the tea leaves a little bit with him on how he's talking publicly about a situation like this. And I, I'm still not certain what the motivation is behind the things he says. I think there might sometimes be 
motivation behind the way he talks about like there could be a, a tough love that he feels like he has to take with Kamacord Accord based on his background and upbringing and experiences and everything. And there may not be exactly the same kind of thing publicly that he takes with CJ Stroud. I'm not saying he coddles him. I'm saying that it might just be an accurate um, reading of two different personalities and two different people at two different stages of their careers and how they, how he needs to approach them. I think it's kind of fascinating. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out over the next eight weeks. So hold on a second, Steven, Steven, uh, you disagree with that. I think yeah, and we have all, we have all, We've talked about this idea a lot. Mm -hmm. It's also certainly possible that in practice and then in games, CJ Stroud does the right thing like 85% of the time. Mm -hmm. And Kyle McCord does the right thing 55% of the time. And Ryan day is trying to communicate to all his quarterbacks. I don't care what your arm strength is. I don't care what kind of touch you put on the ball, make the right decisions play smart, make the reads that we study in the quarterback room all the time, run the offense the way you're supposed to run it. And if you miss a throw, you miss a throw, but make the right decisions. And right now, CJ Stroud makes right decisions a heck of a lot more than anybody else in the room. And the best way for me to try to communicate that is to praise the guy making the right decisions and, and critique the guy's making the wrong decision. Steven, is that closer to your view? Yep. I don't think there are any tea leaves with this situation because even with the Dwayne situation, that was more about Dwayne's personality than his play, which is part of the reason why Urban Meyer handled that the way he did with the way he talked about him. Kyle is not publicly cocky like that. He's cocky. because I mean, they're quarterbacks, so they're cocky people, but he's not cocky to the point that you got to simmer him down. And CJ's not that either. They're both pretty humble guys from a, a public standpoint, so you don't have to worry about that. This is simply about I'm a quarterback's coach, and he says this a lot. We're going to de- develop quarterbacks a certain way here, which is why part of why he hired Corey Dennis, whether obviously we none of us agree with that hire, but that's part of why he did it because he wants it done a certain way. But because I'm developing quarterbacks a certain way, I want my quarterback to do this, and I want him to do it this way. And when he does it, I'm going to tell him that. And if you don't do it enough that way, eventually I'm going to go public with it. This is just the first time he's gotten to talk publicly about Kyle McCord. So this is the reaction we're getting. But I'm pretty sure this is the stuff he's telling Kyle McCord in that room all the time. And, and it is consistent with the way that he's talked about the quarterback room in general, really going back to the spring. That this is, a, you know, he's he's pointing out things now. And it's not that he. He's, he's also just now forced to talk about Kyle McCord publicly in a different way mm-hmm. because Kyle McCord played three quarters of a game and he hadn't done that before. I mean, he hadn't played at all. So once that happens, like, you know, he had talked about him in very nonspecific ways. We'd obviously been asking. I think we'd been going back to the spring. Every time we got to talk about the quarterbacks, us, other people who cover this beat, asking, you know, specifically like, hey, what are you seeing from Kyle McCord? What are you seeing from Jack Miller? I feel like those questions have been asked, but he always kind of answered them in a general way. And now he has to talk a little bit more specifically about Kyle McCord. So I, I do agree with that. Um, and I wasn't even necessarily advocating that he talks about them. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that open just because I'm, I'm, we're still all still just kind of learning about how he handles this as we go. You guys can tell when Steven gets passionate about a thing. And I, th- I think you make a very good point here, Steven, when you tap your desk, we can hear it. So don't, oh, when you're making your point, 
wave your sorry. finger in wave your finger in the air oh, very, but sorry we don't want to lose your words thing. yeah like, no i just weird like i get invested you know i'm, I'm invested in this beat at this point man i want it three and a half years i'm invested sorry i'll point from now order point at <laughs> uh, point at me like you're sorry. like listen doug <laughs> just right in my face right at the screen uh but don't tap the thing so see now see everybody's like doug's always yelling stuff Steven is three and a half years invested and he's beaten a hole in his desk. This is 17 years of investment. It's why I am the way I am. I think it's interesting. And, and in terms of, so I think we're all very clear on where Ryan Day is. And frankly, that's all that matters. Doesn't mean we're going to stop talking about it, but Ryan Day left no doubt today about how he sees things. Nathan, you said people being in different camps. I tried to ask some nuanced questions with the quarterbacks for our tech subscribers. I, I, I am fascinated by the results of these, of this survey. Did how Kyle McCord play on Saturday affect your view of the quarterback situation much? The way he played, how did it affect your view? The choices were, yes, I am now more pro McCord. Yes. I'm now more pro Stroud. no, it didn't change much. Steven, which do you think won among our tech subscribers? No, didn't change much because it was accurate. Okay. Nathan, what do you think won? I mean, I, I, I honestly don't even know. I feel like it's, yeah. I, I'm really curious to hear what these percentages are going to be. Cause if you told me it was like 33, 33, 34, I would not be shocked. It's based. It's close to that. It's crazy. Okay. It's 52% no, it didn't change much. So half the people say, no, it didn't change. Then it's 24% pro McCord, 24% pro Stroud. So half the people didn't change and a quarter each went the opposite directions. It is, that is, that's even crazier than a third, a third, a third. Cause it's like split in half. And then the half is split in half. So, so, why is that? Is it, are people wrong? Are some of us, and maybe me included, making the wrong quarterback assessment because maybe we're putting too much on the way they throw the ball? Hey, CJ missed a couple deep balls. Kyle looked good throwing it, but actually that's not even what the evaluation is. It's making the right reads and running the offense, and that's all that matters. Are we literally evaluating it wrong, Nathan? Or is it just that much open to interpretation and it kind of depends maybe what you're looking for in a quarterback. I think it's also complicated in some ways by the last time we saw CJ Stroud, he didn't look right. That's the other thing that gets factored in here too. Um, that he wasn't, he wasn't healthy the last time we saw him and it was affecting how he played football. I'm pretty sure. So I think that is also a complicating factor here, but even when you, know, you and I, did Monday Madness, and we're both kind of talking about Comic Court. I feel like we had some different perspectives there. But even as I was like going back through the going back through like throw by throw, it's like okay, the we're talking about like the yards after catch, and like there was the big 85 yard play for Jackson Smith and Jigba, and like 70 of those yards, maybe like 75 of those yards came like after the catch. No, but, for Egbuka, I think you mean right? Egbuka, I'm sorry, yeah, Egbuka, yeah, yeah. yes, 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 Egmeka Egbuka. I think it was an 83-yard uh, play, and I think 70 of those came after the catch. But so that almost like looks like it folds into like why it wasn't that impressive of a performance. But 
that's what I feel like this offense is supposed to do. You get the ball out in space to a guy like that and let him do his thing. And that's still to me an achievement. So it's, it's just a hard thing without, we have three games now of Stroud to compare to each other. And we have one game of Stroud or one game of McCord that I think is mostly being compared to the worst version of Stroud. Mm. So I think that's what complicates this a little bit. I'm really eager to see what's a healthier CJ Stroud looks like against a real big 10 team, which I think we can call Rutgers a real big 10 team now on Saturday. Steven, why do you think it's, it's split like that the way it is? I think part of it is that some people are just, they just want McCord and some people are, are a little bit more patient with what Stroud has to bring to the table. While I think the no is more is interesting because of what Nathan just said. It's because you saw I, we got this text immediately after McCord's first drive on, on Saturday, because sometimes I monitor it. Somebody said, now I know why CJ won the job. That initial uh, way. Now, obviously, he settled in and things got better throughout the game. But that initial series, it was like, OK, OK, I see why CJ won. But also, I'm not going to learn much from this Akron game. So let me see it now that CJ's had a week of rest and maybe he's a little bit healthier. And also, Kyle's got the jitters out. Now let me see it from scratch and then I'll decide to make a decision on which team I want to be on if I'm pro McCord or pro Stroud. But I, and I think that's probably, as a fan, the most responsible place to be because you weren't going to learn anything about McCord from Akron and maybe now CJ's is healthier so you can see exactly why he's basically been ahead in this quarterback battle since he got on campus. We'll keep talking quarterbacks right after this on Buckeye Talk. Love to have you as a tech subscriber. Thanks to those who are. We keep getting a couple new people every day. We lose some people too. We get that. We're not going to pretend that like, you know, everybody. We have one billion tech subscribers. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have half a billion. But we'd love to have you if you haven't tried it. 614-350-3315. Again, I'm we trying should, to. Go ahead. We should, we should run a big promotion for like our one millionth tech subscriber. Like you get, you get season tickets to Ohio State football for life to our 1 millionth tech subscriber. And, and then like 50 years go by and we're still nowhere close yeah. to 1 millionth tech subscriber. RJ Day, RJ Day is the head coach by the time you get the cash in on it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, hey, uh, just curious, how close are you guys to a million? Like, well, what are my odds? And be like, don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry yeah. about that. Just think about the day that will come. Um, it's interesting, I'm trying to build the tech subscription service for the playoff show, which you can try for a dollar a month at 817-442-6789. And we're not as active there. You don't pay as much. We don't do as much, but I was trying, I'm just trying to figure out like what it is that people really like. And, you know, we would have this message board versus text conversation. And someone just said like, I really, I really like the surveys. And I do think like, I really like the surveys, Nathan, like you, you guys are both excited for like, what's the survey answer going to be? I do think it's one of the best things that we've kind of sort of stumbled on. That wasn't the intention of the texts off the start, but I do really like people being able to express an opinion without having to type something out, but you feel like, Hey, my vote mattered. Your vote does matter. And that it, 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 then you get a sense of, I like the community of it of like, well, I think this, is that what everybody else thinks? Or am I on an Island, right? Am I on viewers Island? So I, I do think we've really found that I've got to do more surveys with the playoff show subscribers. And I think people will get more into it, but anyway, 614-350-3315 for the tech subscription for Ohio State. And by the way, I just like I I'm all over the place sometimes with how much I talk. 
I, I, on the Monday podcast, I, I, I basically said, or I directly said, I don't want to watch a movie about a blind person. I mean, it's like an insane thing to say. It's just like a terrible, what a horrible thing. I I, I questioned it. I questioned it. No, no, no. I let you, and then you doubled down. No, I know. It's like, I I don't want to be uplifted that I'm okay with. I mean, that's not what I mean. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm a jerk. I'm not that much of a jerk. So I apologize for that. That's not, that's not a thing to say. That's not a thing that I think, um, what I think is like, I just want to like, I don't want to think at a movie, right? I just, I just want to go and be entertained and I don't want to have to think. So that's all I mean. But that was a stupid thing to say. And so I apologize for that. Okay. Couple other quarterback questions. And then the last segment of this, I do want to talk about Matt Barnes, what we learned about the defense from the conversation with him. Ryan Day said Tuesday that CJ Stroud is the starter when healthy. And he did sound too enthused about how Kyle McCord played against Akron. If you were the coach, how would you handle the Ohio State quarterbacks right now? These were the choices. I'd play both, but be prepared to go to McCord as the starter if he looks better. I'd play both Stroud and McCord while letting a quarterback battle continue for a few weeks. Stroud is the starter, but I'd want to get McCord a little first-team action to see how he looks. Stroud is the clear starter and McCord and the others are just the backups. I tried to cover the range there. Steven, what do you think won? It's basically, it's definitely CJ. It's CJ, but I want a little look at Kyle. It's still a battle, it's still a battle, or it's a battle, but I'm leaning McCord. Which do you think won? Yeah, um, Stroud is a starter, but I want to get McCord a little first team action. I think it's the winner there. Nathan, do you, do you agree with that, Nathan? I think I would guess the same thing, yeah. Yeah. Good guess is 52%. So again, it's sort of like half the people are like, yes, it's definitely Stroud. Give McCord a look. And then the other half are divided equally. So second place was I'd play them both and let the battle continue. So that's like, let the battle continue is 18%. But then Stroud is clearly the guy is 17%. So it's like, one is like, it's still wide open. One is it's definitely CJ and they're basically the same. And then play both, but get ready to go to McCord is 13. That's like a decent amount still. So it's like 52, 18, 17, 13. So again, it's like, there's this sort of half the fan base that I think is kind of united around. That feels like CJ, but I'd like to still look at Kyle. And then everybody else is like an opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like four corners. You guys play four corners. You guys play four corners at the roller rink. You play four corners at the roller rink or any room, any room you're in at any moment in time, you can play four corners. You number the corners of the room, one, two, three, four. One person stands in the middle. Everybody goes to a corner of the room and you say corner number three. And then everybody in corner number three is out. And then the remaining people, the person in the middle closes his or her eyes and they go to a separate corner. You do it at the roller rink. They play the, they play the sound. And then at the end, you, somebody wins popcorn. Never, never four corners. I've played. Yeah. So I, I am assuming Nathan is of this generation. You had indoor recess, right? When it rained, you had indoor recess in elementary school. Yes. Steven, was that still the case in your generation generation that if it rained, you had indoor recess, like in your class? I wouldn't call it recess. I mean, I would call it sitting in the auditorium and be quiet and none of us follow directions, but yeah, for the sake of, yeah. Cause indoor recess in my generation, if you had indoor recess, you were in your room and then it was either four corners, either played four corners or heads up seven up. You guys play heads up seven up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Steven that, heads that up seven up. Anyone? I've, no? I've heard of heads up seven up. Correct. Yeah. And then it was like heads up seven up. 
very fraught, very fraught. Because most of the time it's like if it's your if you're the person up front and there's like somebody you like in the class, you're pushing their thumb down just because you want to you sort of touch their thumb. Buckeye talk. So it's like, you know, like it's like that's my thing. I or or if there's someone you hate, it's like I'm going to push down the thumb of the person I hate and then they'll never guess me because I hate them. And then sometimes you try to with how whether you you finessed the thumb, whether you push the thumb down hard, you tried to do the opposite of how you presented yourself as a person. That person seems like a finesse pusher. So I'm going to push down the thumb firmly. Right. Very strategic. Heads up, seven up, fraught with personality conflicts. Four corners. You just stand in a corner. It's random. It's the lottery every time. Four corners much less likely to cause problems. So I'm a big, I reached the point almost. I mean, I like, I was not much of a jungle gym guy. I enjoyed throwing around the Nerf football. I almost like indoor recess more because this, but it's strategic a little bit, right? Because sometimes it's like the person does corner number one. So you think, well, they're not going back to corner number one. I'm going to go back to what they just did. But then if you're the caller, you're like, I'm doubling down on corner number one, right? It's like you're playing the roulette wheel. It just went black. Are you going to go black again? Are you going to go red? When are you going to go green? It's roulette. <laughs> Okay, hold on a second. Third grade, um, it's third grade roulette. Buckeye talk meme. I don't know how great your the technology that you have um, to your disposal is, but this story needs to be like a cartoon skit at this point. Yeah. Because little Dougie goes for recess needs to be some type of something. I don't know, man. But if you can make that happen, Anyone I'm not going to sh- give you anything, but like, a, like I'll like it and retweet it, but I'm not going to give you anything else. But you should do that. Any shock that little Dougie liked indoor recess? Anyone shocked by that? Seems like an indoor recess kind of kid. All right. The second thing. So we're kind of split there. This again, it's going to be split. What did you think of how Kyle McCord played on Saturday? Not very good. I thought he'd look better. Okay. But lots to work on. Shaky start, but look good after the first couple series. So the most positive is shaky start, but look good. In the middle is okay, but lots to work on. The worst is not very good. Thought he'd look better. Steven, what do you think won? I'm very interested to see what not very good thought he'd look better got, honestly. And so yeah. I'll, I'll pick that one just because there was such a pro Kyle McCord thing happening over the last three weeks. I am very interested to see how many votes that got. So I'll stick with that, even though that's probably wrong. Nathan? I think the middle one probably won, but I'm, as usual, I am more intrigued by the polls. This one I was very surprised by. Shaky start, but look good after the first couple series, which is the most positive. Because, like, you can't just put, looked awesome, because he threw a pass backwards on his second pass, went backwards. Right. That was the most positive one. 55% on the most positive. Hmm. Okay, but lots to work on. 41%. And then the worst one, not very good, thought he'd look better, 4%. So you know that what's is interesting. <laughs> fans and coach day are on polar opposites of the spectrum with how they talk about these quarterbacks ryan day doesn't want to say anything good about kyle mccord and he hated his performance and everybody else loved it he's loving what cj stroud is doing and everybody else hates what cj stroud is doing which is very interesting yeah actually actually ryan just texted me his vote it's it's five percent ah. <laughs> we can update that <laughs> we could have a we could have a pre that's next premium text Available only to Ohio State football program employees. He will keep you. <laughs> we will keep your secrets. It's like, oh, no, who voted for that? I am intrigued by that. It does make me want to go back. 
I'll tell you, I'm not a football coach, but I didn't think my initial instinct wasn't, man, he missed reads the whole day. That really wasn't my instinct. I mean, of course, the interception was terrible and he was nervous for the first series. But I, I did not really like Ryan Day said he didn't think he saw it. Right. Wasn't that he said something like that well, today? He That's, said, uh, yeah. And I, to, yeah, go ahead, David. I mean, you say he looks these guys. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I these guys see football at a different level than I do, than we do. They just do. They 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 have PhDs in this thing, and we're we're trying to like get through high school or whatever no, you want to say. You know what I mean? We're in third grade indoor recess, man. I was I was actually going to say we're trying to be really good finger painters, but I thought that might be selling us ourselves a little too short. But I mean, Ryan Day, especially in terms of quarterback play, so it's still probably a tendency of me when I break down. Common Cord's performance during a game, I'm seeing that he completed a pass to this guy. And so how did he complete that pass as opposed to, yes, he completed that pass, but actually what he should have done was throw to this guy who you can't even see because you don't even have the all 22 film or whatever to mm-hmm. go by. Like, I think there's, so there's a totally different level of analysis that Ryan Day is coming at this from. And I, as much as we, I don't think it, it I don't think it invalidates the things that we try to say and do, but I think I, I do to some extent, defer a little bit to what he's able to see because he just has better data at some times than we do. For what it's worth, he didn't grade out well with PFF either. He was at 59.5 overall and 55.6 with his passing grade and whatnot. Mm. They've uh, they've weekly have habitually graded CJ pretty well, even if the, the volume is high. So I that I that took that into account too when I was rewatching this game. Okay, how did PFF read it? Because that's the closest thing to Ryan, which fan is going to get when you're talking about, you know, how good a guy played. But I think some of it is just, you know, it's hard because, like, I don't want to call Kyle McCord a home run hitter or a home run, a, a home run swinging type of quarterback, but he is a little bit of a gunslinger. And if Ryan Day doesn't want a gunslinging quarterback, anything that might resemble that in his mind is bad, even if it still worked out, like the touchdown pass to Jackson Smith Majigba. That's a good read. It's not a great throw. And that's where the difference might come down is we might see a great throw, but it's a bad read, or we might see a good read and it's a bad throw. He might see they, – they're clearly seeing the whole picture. And even with PFF, if Ryan Day seeing 100% of the picture, PFF helps us to see 65% of it. Yeah, I thought it could have been a better throw. I didn't think it was a terrible throw, the, no. the Smith the Jigba. I thought it was okay and kind of got the job done. Kind of like anytime. Mm-hmm. you're always better off. I mean, it's like if you underthrow a ball, you bring the defender into play, but if you overthrow a ball, then your guy doesn't even have a chance to do it. So it's like he kind of gave Jackson Smith the Jigma to make a play on the ball. And guess what? Jackson Smith the Jigma, if you give him a chance, he's proven he's going to make a play on the ball. And he did. Right. Did he lead him to the exact right spot, the exact right way? No, but I thought that throw was maybe like a six and a half out of 10 or something. I don't know. I, I thought it was a throw that had a high propon- had a high, higher chance of being um, nothing or problematic against another opponent. That's in there, there That's right true. there. That saying that TJ's overthrown some guys on deep balls, but it's like the idea of a quarterback is you want to throw it somewhere where either your receiver gets it or nobody gets it. So if you overthrow it, that means just nobody got it. But if you're underthrowing, you're putting in a situation where another person can get this ball other than the receiver if he's not a five-star or you're playing somebody of equal talent. So maybe that's part of it. It's a bad thing that CJ's overthrowing guys, but at least you live to see it see another day. 
Yeah, but but I I don't know if that's I don't know that that's how they see it because if you underthrow it, you give your receiver a chance to make the catch. If you overthrow it, you don't, he doesn't even have a chance. It's just too far. Mm-hmm. It's too far. So I don't know. I would love to go sit in a room with Ryan Day for twenty minutes and break down that throw, that read, that throw. It's like, hey, it's a touchdown, yeah. but like what what was good and bad? The six different parts that were good and bad about this play, and uh, we're not coaches. All right, are you confident? This is the last survey question. Are you confident that when Ohio State plays Penn State on October 30th, that the Buckeyes will get good quarterback play that will give them a strong chance of winning? This is no longer about individuals. It is about the position. We have kind of said all along, you know what, whatever they do, they'll probably wind up with a pretty good quarterback. A lot of got a lot of good options, you know. So by the time they get to Penn State, here are the choices. Yes, I'm confident the quarterback will be good and Ohio State will have a great shot. I'm worried about the quarterback, but I think the Buckeyes could win with just okay quarterback play. So like, well, I'm maybe worried about the quarterback, but I'm not as worried about the game. I still think they could win. No, I'm worried the quarterback play might hold Ohio State back and decrease the chances of winning. So it's like, feel good about the quarterback and the chances of winning. Feel iffy about the quarterback, but feel pretty good about the chances of winning or feel iffy about the quarterback and the chances of winning, Nathan. Which one do you think won? Um, I, I think I don't know. I I think they still feel generally pretty good. So you think it's good all around, or the one that's iffy quarterback, good about the team, or you think it's both good quarterback and good team? One. I'm going to say good quarterback, good team. Steven? Yeah, I'll say I'm the the the, the top one, the mo- the most positive one as well. I'm confident a good quarterback and a great shot just because, like, I mean, Ohio State's got enough around the quarterback where it can make up for whatever he's not. So the middle one won. I'm worried about the quarterback, but I think the Buckeyes could win with just okay QB play. That got 43%. I'm confident in the quarterback. The quarterback will be good, and Ohio State will have a great shot, 37%. So pretty close. And then I'm worried that co- the quarterback play might hold back Ohio State, decrease the chances of winning 20%. So only 20% like really worried, 80% feeling pretty good in general, but again, kind of like only 37% confident in the quarterback, 63% some kind of, uh, I don't know, but you know, just depends how much you think it's going to affect them. That we're four weeks in, Nathan, in a quarterback room with this much talent, and that two-thirds of the people are kind of like, eh, I don't know about the quarterback position when they get to their toughest regular season game. Are you surprised by that, given what we thought in August? Or is that not surprising? Because, listen, man, it's a bunch of young quarterbacks. I don't care how talented they are. There's a, there's There are growing pains, and that's process. I'm not surprised by it simply because I think the way we and other people have talked about it to the fans – I think we've all along talked about, well, because they have all this talent, there's more than likely an answer there, right? And though all these guys were highly ranked, all these guys um, have done good things and seem set up to be successful college quarterbacks. So if, if, you know what I mean? Like, I think that maybe just relative to the way it was discussed, the expectations that we came in, I guess I understand why people are a little bit underwhelmed or worried or however you want to say it, just because I think, we maybe, and I don't know if that was is even like a fault of ours because I don't you can you can't like completely imagine what it's going to look like and convey that. But 
we didn't talk about it really in terms of like there being a lot of hiccups. You know what I mean? I don't think we talked about it necessarily. We didn't really talk through how it might look kind of shaky and sputtery as it's getting going. And that's sort of what happened. I think you're still seeing like promise from both of those guys. Um, But I think we maybe undersold how much it was going to be a little bit creaky to start probably. I think part of the reason we didn't do that is one they hadn't thrown, so we didn't know anything about. But also, we spent a lot more time discussing what the offense was going to look like. I mean, we dedicated an entire podcast. Is this going to be the Justin Fields offense or is it going to be the Dwayne Haskins offense? And so far through four games, it's been kind of stuck in the middle. It's they, They're trying to do some Justin Fields stuff, and then Ryan Day realizing – Quicker every game he realizes quicker and quicker that maybe we need to be more Dwayne Haskins. We're like, we got all these weapons. Let's just get it in our hands as quick as possible. And everything doesn't need to be two tight ends, play action 30 yards down the field. And so you see Chris Olave get the jet sweep and Jackson Smith the Jimmy get a sweat jet sweep and Garrett Wilson get bubble screens and stuff like that. But it's not they're not married to either style right now. So we're not really sure how to lock down on what we should expect from this quarterback because they're trying to be the best of both worlds when they maybe just need to pick one. I think just within that, what you just described though, gets to what I was saying. It's like, well, is it going to be when Justin Fields was a Heisen trophy finalist as a dual threat quarterback who never threw interceptions and could throw the crap out of the ball too? Or is it going to be like when Dwayne Haskins was a Heisman trophy finalist and threw for 5,000 yards and many touchdowns, like which of those two things it's going to be, it's going to be great, but which of those two things will be. And I think just within that is again, I don't, that's not what we were trying to say when we were having that discussion, but I can see why, uh, why a person's brain Mm-hmm. The expectations raise a little bit. And now when it looks, again, just a little bit more, it's just these things are going to have to happen organically. There's going to be um, sputters and and trip-ups along the way, and they've got to figure it out in real time, just as they do with any other position. DJ Uyunglele, when Clemson gets the ball out of his hands quick and does sort of that RPO stuff and get it out like he did against Notre Dame when he had to play for Trevor Lawrence last year and he threw for 400-plus yards, He looks pretty good doing that all year for Clemson. Whenever they don't do that, he looks like he's not sure of himself Mm -hmm. and it is a reminder. And I know we've mentioned that a couple of times, but you really, if you've got the weapons and you can just, it's almost just like, it's not that it's don't think about it, but it's like, this is the read hand it or take this. It's, it's almost always going to be there because it's so fast. And then just believe in that guy. If you have a smart, talented quarterback, even if you're not that experienced, you really can do a decent amount with that. But then it's a matter of, is that limiting in any ways? Is that going to get you over the top against everybody? Listen, for Mac Jones, it worked fine because he was throwing it to Vontae Smith and everybody else. And then they'd hand it to Najee Harris and it worked. But DJ has really struggled with that. And there have been other times when they haven't helped him out at all. But he's looked worse than CJ Stroud all year. And the result is Clemson's two and two. And it's not all his fault because the offensive line has let him down. And he threw a pass in the end zone against NC State in the second overtime. Listen, the NC State guy made the catch in double overtime for the touchdown. He threw a very similar ball to Justin Ross. Justin Ross dropped it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, it would have been a nice catch, but the NC State guy did it. And this Clemson guy didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and then when it was time for DJ to do something else, they called a play later in that series in double overtime where – he like faked a handoff and then like took a step forward like he was going to run and then step back and then throw it 
kind of stuff Ohio State did with Troy Smith. And like, I, I like that kind of stuff. But he like threw it four yards out of bounds. <laughs> it was like he threw it toward the end zone. It didn't look, it wasn't near anybody. And it was like, okay, well, on first down, your guy dropped what would have been a touchdown. Then now it's back on you. And then you made a bad throw. And now here it is. And like, it's over and you lost and Clemson's two and two. It's hard, man. It, it is hard. And this has been a weird year. Spencer Rattler will rip a ball in the middle of the field and then just look like he doesn't even, he has no interest in playing quarterback on the yep. next series. And it's like, what is happening? He's supposed to win the Heisman and he's making terrible throws for no reason. So it's just the context of this is happening. This is happening places that it's not like everybody in the country is getting five-star quarterback play. So that's the reality for Ohio state. They have a chance to figure it out, man. I mean, I, I, I would like to do, we'll get to that. Next week's going to be interesting. If you assume they're going to beat Rutgers and look pretty good doing it, which if we set a poll, what well, here's the choices. Are they going to beat Rutgers and look good? Are they going to beat Rutgers and look terrible? Or are they going to lose to Rutgers? I mean, it would be like, don't you think it'd be like 97% beat Rutgers and look good? There's a chance that they'll beat Rutgers and still look clunky. But I think people are coming around on some stuff, right? Ah, CJ got his rest. His shoulder should be better. They've changed some stuff on defense. Okay, okay. They got to go to Lave. A few more touches. Good to go. Okay, Matt Jones is filling in for Thayer. That looks good. Here, Travion Henderson is only going to get better. You can feel themselves figuring some stuff out. Steven, they have time to figure it out. And the rest of the country is in a position where if Ohio State can figure it out, they're going to have a shot. Now, I don't know they can beat Georgia, but they're going to have a shot because lots of people are still <laughs> – figuring stuff out a month into the season. So like, obviously I do Clemson Bama watch every week. And one part of it is like ranking CJ Bryce and DJ every single week and how they performed in that week. And the one thing I've kind of come to this conclusion of after a couple of weeks doing it, DJ has a offense and a game plan. That's like what you would expect from somebody who's a three-year starter who has to be the engine of an offense. And he's not ready to do that while Bryce and CJ have just personnel around them that allows them to just be like the sidekick who's along for the ride. Even if Bryce has looked pretty good, I mean, it's a bunch of awesome receivers and a crazy good defense. As you just said, the defense is starting to figure it out for Ohio State, and we'll see going forward. But this offense is too great that CJ can look okay, and it's fine. They're still going to win the football game, and it allows both Bryce and CJ to continue to grow. So that's the question for Ohio State. Is this offense, real, is this defense really figuring it out and going to allow CJ to continue to figure it out? And also, is CJ or Kyle or whoever just going to continue to grow into this role? Because if that's the case, then, yeah, Ohio State's got as good a shot as any because – if the offense is awesome and the defense is good enough, if CJ or Kyle is ready to go by the time we get to the playoff, I mean, they've got as good of a shot as Alabama or Georgia do to win a national title, even if it doesn't look that way right now. I don't think they have as good a chance at Georgia. I have, they, they have as good a chance at anybody, I think, to get into the playoff. I don't, I don't know how they would handle that Georgia defense right now, or maybe that Alabama defense either. But that we have plenty of time to talk about all that. Yeah. That, let's do this. We started just talking a little bit about stuff besides quarterback. We'll take our last break. We'll come back. What did we learn from Matt Barnes? What do we think of how things are evolving on the defensive side of the ball? Next on Buckeye Talk. Nathan, what was your general impression of Matt Barnes speaking with him on Tuesday? He, I think he went almost half an hour. Is that about right? Did you guys run it yeah. through? I mean, that was a good credit to Ohio State. 
We're not here to kiss butt. We'll give him credit. That guy is like, hey, the defensive play caller who just took over the play calling in kind of a complicated thing that's uncomfortable to talk about. Could we get him for half an hour? Yeah, you can. Appreciative. Fans are appreciative of that. We, as the media, bringing it to the fans are appreciative of that. What did you think of Matt Barnes? Well, he's in a tough spot from at least like, you know, speaking publicly about things. You know what I mean? Like we, we want details about th- this thing that's going on that is touchy behind the scenes. That's not his fault. It's not really anybody's fault. It's just it's part of it. But it, it is tough for him to come out and have to, you know, I think he was trying his best to give some answers, but also um, be respectful to the situation behind the scenes. So that was one of the things that kind of stood out to me. And he doesn't seem like a, a chest thumper to begin with. So that, that's obviously probably part of his personality anyway. I, I think it's also pretty clear, though, that he can talk about schematic things and everything, and he did, and they have made schematic changes. But the exciting thing that, that really is going on with the defense right now is not schematic to me. It's the it's guys asserting themselves for the first time here these last two or three weeks. And uh, the way he talks about like how special Denzel Burke is, the way that he talks about like what they're now able to do with Lathan Ransom, the way he can talk about Ronnie Hickman or, or Cam Martinez, like those kind of things. Like that's what is going to ultimately decide how good Ohio State's defense is this year more than who's calling the plays in and where they are. I thought, there was a chance they were going to single high safety themselves into oblivion though, no matter who was back there, unless they got Jordan Fuller back. Right. So I don't want to downplay the adjustment there. That's fair, but it's also fair to point out that what they're doing with two high safeties also sometimes is uh, still a single high safety thing. It's just what they're showing before the snap. Yeah. That that's the big thing there. It's, Regardless of whether it's two high or it's one high, they're not static and basic anymore. And whatever you a quarterback sees, that's what he's dealing with. They're throwing different looks at a quarterback and trying to make him think more than they were the first couple of weeks. So that is an important part. Uh, as Matt Barnes said, he thinks disguising things is, is an important part of playing defense. And they weren't particularly disguisey previously. That seems like a pretty fundamental switch, right, Nathan? That's That's a... Hey, what's different? Well, that's like a philosophical difference, I think, from maybe the way Kerry Combs did it to where, the way Matt Barnes is doing it. Yes, uh, he, he made a point to use that kind of that terminology like disguising and deception and, and kind of the chess match that goes on with the opposing offensive coordinator and that sort of thing. So I think uh, we don't know behind the scenes exactly what was happening in terms of those discussions week to week, how they were coming up with a plan and how it was unfolding. That would be an interesting thing to find out. Um, he says it's still very collaborative. I'm still though. I mean, it now they're still in just a very transitional moment. I feel like this defense, it's still, a, it's still a growth period. And I don't know how much Rutgers is going to challenge him. I'm really eager to see that Maryland game in two weeks. So, I mean, the thing we've seen it before, right? When they got to the playoff against Clemson, they were playing two safeties, right? Cause they're going to throw on you. And we always knew they liked to play the extra guy in the box to stop the run. And then the big 10, that that's kind of what you want to do. And I do think, and, and Matt Barnes said this, and I asked him about it. A couple of other people asked about it, you know, that there was a certain thing that Tulsa did. There was a thing that Akron did when they got behind I mean, They just were throwing it. They were chucking it around the whole time. And they were doing a lot with four wides. And when you do that, 
well, you don't need the extra guy in the box. So that bullet drops back as another deep safety. And that's the look they showed a lot. And we saw it when they went, when they switched to it against Tulsa after the change, Ronnie Hickman would be deep and then would creep up, right? Certain, he would wind up in the box right before the snap. Again, as Steven was saying, there's something you're just trying to play with the quarterback's eyes a little bit. I'll be curious to see what it looks like. You know, Rutgers is not going to go four wide. That's not how they're going to try to attack. So where does Ronnie Hickman wind up playing? I am very intrigued by the idea, Stephen, like Ronnie Hickman is like the pivot point of this defense right now. That for all the talk we had, for real, for real, for real, for real, for real, put some respect on the bullet's name. Because for the conversations we had on this podcast, mostly me ranting, what's the bullet? Yeah. This is not what you would want to do with Pete Werner. The times when we said, well, Pete Werner's a bullet, yep. what's the thing? Well, and it's like, oh, so what's happening? Oh, like two-thirds of the time, Pete Werner's back as a second deep safety, as a free safety. It's like, what? That's not how you use Pete Werner. You know what I mean, right? That Even though there were a handful of snaps when they started doing the bullet in 2019, and then it was like they didn't really use it because Pete Werner just stayed on the field, and they would rotate a safety. But usually, here's the thing. When Pete Warner was doing that, he wasn't often rotating back as the second safety. He was often rotating back because the deep safety was coming up and yeah. Pete Warner was going back. And we'd be like, why is Pete Warner by himself 25 yards from the line of scrimmage? His neck is too thick to be that deep. Buckeye talk. So that is that's different. This is Ronnie Hickman is dropping back with the free safety to give a second deep safety look when they're in a, a passing formation, when they have four wide. Now, if you're going to have two tight ends in the game, you're going to bring guys in the box. I get it. I think Ronnie Hickman's going to come up. But Steven, Ronnie Hickman is a box linebacker at times and a free safety at times. And as good of a player as Pete Werner was, I don't think he could have done that. That would not have been the best use of his skills. And I don't know exactly who recently would have been that. Ronnie Hickman, who was a big-time recruit, top 150 national recruit, mm-hmm. was injured early in his career, right? Kind of whatever. Jersey kid. Ronnie, Ronnie Hickman is playing some freaking good football, and he is doing it at an absolutely essential position for this defense because whether he's up in the box, maybe covering a tight end or getting ready to help against the run, or whether he is a free safety back there with Bryson Shaw or Lathan Ransom, I think this defensive coaching staff has confidence in him in both positions, and I don't think anybody should be taking that for granted because, to me, that is not easy to do. He's not the eraser because that's what you want your free safety to be, but he's insurance for whatever formation this defense sees from an offense. Because like you just said, if it's like a set where he needs to be back, he's back. If they have two tight ends in the game, then he's back up in the box. He can help stop the run. He's playing in the flats at times. He's you know back in cover two at some times. And so he's a little bit of insurance to be able to do everything. And I think he's what Brendan White was supposed to be. But I think part of why we they just stuck with Pete Warner over Brendan White is because this defensive line was getting pressure. And so you could be simple. You didn't have to have a guy out there who could do a little bit of everything, but because before a quarterback could get the ball out of his hands, a defensive end was in his lap. When you don't, that's part of this. I think they recognize 
we don't have that right now. We might have it one day, but right now we don't have a situation where our defensive line can be the reason why a quarterback has to think twice. So we've got to scheme up some other stuff. That's where the bullet comes into play as a guy who can move all over the place. He, The bullet is now the person that's making a quarterback think twice instead of some elite level defensive end right now. Yeah, I wouldn't call him the eraser because they don't ask him to do that. I would call him like the stabilizer. Like he's the one that gets to just you get to just you know, balance your defense with him. Step to step. By the way, I'm writing a feature on Hickman this week because he's going back home to play against Rutgers. And I talked to his high school coach today, and he he did a lot of things in high school, like a lot of guys do. He was a receiver, played a lot in the secondary, played cornerback because when they put him at corner, he shut down half of the field. They wouldn't throw to his side. And so I said, so what do you think he'd play when he got to high school? Like what was or when he got to college? Like what was he going to be? And his, his coach was like, I mean, I thought he'd be like a safety or an outside linebacker. I'm like, oh, so you thought he'd be the bullet before they even knew that they were doing the yeah. bullet. Uh, where are you guys with uh, Ronnie Frickman as a nickname? Because he is a freaking good football player. Can we get behind that? Or is well, that- he's already got I mean, Rocket. His, they, his call Rocket, Rocket. they call him so, Rocket. They call him Rocket? Yeah. Rocket Hickman. Yeah. Rocket Ronnie Hickman. I'm because talking of- to his parents in just a moment to find out where that came from. Because of, is it because of Guardians of the Galaxy? Because of that raccoon? I mean, he's not that young. So that movie. Because that no. raccoon's got some they were already swag, called- man. Another. Another person I talked to for this article was um, Nick Myers, the Ohio State lacrosse coach who offered Ronnie Hickman a, con- uh, a scholarship when he was like a freshman in high school because uh, Ronnie Hickman was an All-American lacrosse player. And uh, he said that his parents are introducing him as Rocket that early. So you're talking really? about seven, eight years ago. Yeah. That's like Rocket. Might have just been, like, might have just been like super fast as a little kid. It should be Ronnie Rocket. That makes sense. Yeah, he, he, was, guys- he was always fast. You guys ever get like the rockets, like uh, like the hobby kit rocket where you put the little engine in it and you have a little like wire pole and you shoot it like 200 feet in the air and a little. I had, I had PlayStations. <laughs> PlayStation. The, you, you played October Sky, the video game. We, yeah. we, we had that. We yeah. did that. At, we did that. At, I'm really leaning into little Dougie stuff. We did that in shop class in middle school where we made a rocket. And we all shop took class. We all went out. <laughs> We all went out and shot the rockets off. It was an unbelievable day. And out if we want to do that, we will have a Buckeye Talk get together sometime in the offseason where we just go shoot rockets off and we'll invite Ronnie Hickman. So, <laughs> we'll make it an NIL thing. We'll have him come sign autographs and shoot off rockets with Rocket Ronnie Hickman. He's playing really, 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 really well. Okay. So there's a personnel part, there's a scheme part, there's sort of a hey, this is a little uncomfortable, but we're figuring out part. Matt Barnes did say, one of my better qualities qualities is I'm a pretty low ego guy, which means he couldn't be a podcast host. But you got that from Matt Barnes, right? He seems like that. I also thought this was a good quote. There were two quotes from Matt Barnes I wrote down back to back. I wrote down that one, and I wrote down, you can't snap your fingers and touch your toes, and you're back to 100%. Because that, to me, sounds like something Mary Poppins would say. You snap your fingers and touch your toes, and you're back to 100%. He was talking about seven banks. And Nathan, this was an interesting, again, we are trying to read some tea leaves on some of this stuff. I asked Ryan Day a question today. Hey, it feels like, of course, practice matters for playing time, but it feels like there have been instances with guys where you have really talked about they'll play when they practice better. And I feel like that has applied to Master Teague and Mayan Williams because he talked about it again with Master Teague today. He talked about it with Seven Banks. I think we've seen other guys like Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos at moments had big roles. Now they have small roles. But 
I do think the seven banks thing has been hard to figure out. You have asked kind of multiple questions about this along the way. And when we were noting things today, you noted the way that Ryan Day has talked about seven banks and the way Matt Barnes, who's the secondary coach, talked about seven banks today. Very different. What did you tell the people what Matt Barnes said about seven banks and what do you make the whole thing? Well, I guess, I mean, the, the starkest contrast is that Ryan Day definitely made it seem like it wasn't injury related why seven banks wasn't playing. And Matt Barnes seemed to indicate he, he was almost reacting to things maybe he had read or seen, maybe hearing us on this podcast. I hope he probably has better things to do with his time. But reading, reading, gleaned it somewhere out there that there's now this assumption that there was a bit of a doghouse situation going on with seven banks or people like because wait and also the way I asked the question was kind of like what's up with seven banks like I think I asked it that way um I it was a longer question than that but that's how I started it and I think some of what he was pushing back on was this idea that the way he answered it was like well what did you expect like he didn't play at all in the spring which I actually don't think was true I think he missed most of the spring but I think he started the spring active mm-hmm. if I remember. no no he was out for the spring because I remember I was asking questions about like how beneficial this is for Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts that so many other veterans are out, so they're getting extended reps. I, kn- I know that he missed most of the spring. I would have to go back yeah. and look. I don't remember if how early in the spring we were privy to that. But then he talked about him being out for a significant part of preseason camp, too, that he had some kind of a reoccurrence that and he talked about it being a knee injury. So maybe Seven Banks was way more hurt than we ever realized. But that still, to me, doesn't I, – then I don't understand why he travels to Minnesota and dresses and is out on the field for warm-ups and why he is at the Oregon game in full uniform and is out on the field and warms up. It just it, – things still just don't line up altogether. And if it, if it could be a case where the position coach answers a question one way and the head coach answers a question a different way and the answers lie somewhere in between. Conspiracy theory, real quick. What if he was hurt? Like, 100 – like, that happened. He was hurt. And but he's a returning starter. So you're thinking, all right, I'm hurt right now. When I get back, my spot's going to be there. And he got back and he wasn't necessarily playing like a guy who was still trying to earn a spot. He was playing like a guy who knew he already had a role. And in the process of I missed some time. And when I got back, I wasn't playing the way I should have been playing. That combination allowed a young guy like Denzel Burke to take his job. That is much more along the lines of what Ryan Day seemed to be hinting at. That makes sense to me that may, and, and we're, we're having to read some stuff because, but I mean, Ryan day was dropping some stuff with a purpose there. Right. I mean, that was to your point, um, Nathan, like that was not like coincidental. He was, he was trying to make a point, I think with some stuff, but, but the bottom line is it feels like seven banks as Matt Barnes is saying like, well, you know, he, he was getting healthier and whatever, like he's coming back. It feels like he's back in the mix. And so they have had sort of this kind of weird thing. And listen, they're going to rotate guys in the defensive line. We know that, right? And Ryan Day, who does not talk about injuries, was sort of asked like, hey, are you going to get closer to full strength? You know, Tyreek Smith was out last week. Teron Vincent was out last week. Javante Jean-Baptiste was out last week. He was basically like, yeah, I think we'll get closer to full strength. But I'm interested in the back seven. So he's also asked like the linebacker depth. He's like, well, or Matt Barnes was asked, I guess. He's like, well, I think I think we're okay. Like we've got enough, right? They, they can't afford, I think, a bunch more injuries or anything at linebacker with Gant and Pope leaving, but I think they're still okay, but it feels like they, a lot of stuff has shaken out and, and let's just run through this for the people. So everybody has an understanding of this. To me, this is where they are in the back seven at outside corner. Denzel Burke is going to play every snap, 
because Denzel Burke is one of their five best defensive players, and he leads this team in snaps so far this season on the defensive side of the ball with 257. So he's one of them. And then I think Cam Brown and Seven Banks might wind up sharing the other outside spot. They, you know, Seven Banks didn't play the first two games. Then like Cam Brown didn't play last week. So we haven't really seen both of them sort of at full strength, but the way they're talking about stuff, that's kind of my assumption. Do you guys kind of agree with that assumption at outside corner? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that? If those are the three guys who are going to get most of the snaps at outside corner, and that does not seem to leave a whole lot of space for legend Cavazos and wherever Ryan Watts is playing to get many snaps that, that matter right now. You think that's pretty good. Is that a good, are those, are those two corner spots pretty good? If those are the three guys taking most of the snaps. Yeah, I mean, until Cavazos comes back in in you know a later game scenario, if he gets that chance and shows a little bit more stability, that makes sense to me. Um, also, because and and Watts, we were obviously very intrigued by already, and then when he started the season opener, that was intriguing. But now they've talked about him being in the free safety mix, and I don't know what goes into that transition. But that I wonder if that's also been a factor in why we haven't really seen him at all since then. No, I just think three is perfect. If if seven gets back to some version of what it was last year, where it's like you play two and you sit one, that's fine. With three people, that's perfect. And again, yeah, I don't know that the, the number of people is still the crucial thing. It's more just like getting whatever you have to do to get better cornerback play at both those spots. Mm-hmm. Who cares how many people it is? Well, I mean, not to but like Legend Cavazos was at the heart of some of the major problems against Oregon, because they were playing him in important snaps at cornerback and he's not Mm -hmm. playing important snaps at cornerback anymore. So I think if those are the three guys, I think they would have reason to believe in all three of those guys. And I think that is a step up from where they were against Oregon when the defense was a problem. All right. That's outside corner. Let's go cover safety, which is in the slot. Lathan ransom. They have moved him back to deep safety. He can still move around different places, but we saw him at deep safety and Matt Barnes was explaining it. You can't have three guys you trust at one spot and one guy at the other. Once Josh Proctor got hurt, they were looking for solutions at deep safety to play with Bryson Shaw. That Bryson Shaw, Matt Barnes said, has played well, but they don't want him playing 90 snaps a game, Matt Barnes said. So they needed a second deep safety. So Lathan Ransom seems out of the mix at cover safety, and it's because they have three guys they believe in at cover safety. They move one, and that leaves Cam Martinez to be the starter and Marcus Williamson to back him up at cover safety. Steven, do you agree with that? And if so, how do you feel about cover safety? I agree. I feel fine about cover safety, especially with Cam Martinez. If he's if for every 10 snaps he's playing seven of them and Marcus Williamson is playing one, I feel great about it. And vice versa at free safety as well by the time we get into the thick of things if Lathan Ransom is getting seven snaps to Bryson Shaw's three I'm fine with it Nathan what do you think about cover safety do you agree that it looks like Martinez and Williamson going forward yeah I I, I do think so by the way he actually said that uh, Bryson Shaw has been outstanding not just that he's played well yeah so okay so cover safety we think we have the two guys that cover safety it's Cam Martinez excuse me it's Cam Martinez and it's Marcus Williamson Cam Martinez is a player. This is not against anything with Lathan Ransom. I think Lathan Ransom is a better fit at deep safety. I think cover safety, if those are the two guys who are playing and Cam Martinez, to your point, Stephen, is getting 75% of the snaps, I think they are better at cover safety than they were against Oregon. Do you guys agree with that? Yes, and I think part of that is because 
I, it's not offensive to Lathan Renton. He was playing out of position. They recruited the kid to play free safety, and they thought they had something with him as a coverage guy moving to cover safety because they had no choice last year because of COVID. But, yeah, it's it, now he's playing his natural position, and Cameron Martinez playing the position that he's been developed. They've been developing the play since he got here. All right. Well, so and, 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 and he Lathan Renton still might have been the best choice to play cover safety until Cam Martinez proved he was ready for that. Right. But Cam fits there. I think his skills fit there. I think he's played. Everybody can see he's played very well. Okay. So those are the three spots, three important defensive spots in the secondary that I think I think are better than they were against Oregon. Deep safety. It looks like it's going to be Bryson Shaw and Lathan Ransom. Those are going to be the two guys, however they do it. Steven, you have said, you said last week, you just said again now, you think that we get to a point where Lathan Ransom takes that job. Maybe Bryson Shaw backs him up. Nathan, to your point, Matt Barnes, very high praise for Bryson, Bryson Shaw on Tuesday. It would be nice if Josh Proctor was healthy. He's not. So I think if you say, well, there, it would be better if Josh Proctor was there. They can't control that. Josh Proctor was there against Oregon. He's not there now. How do you feel about that deep safety spot if it's Bryson Shaw and Lathan Ransom manning that? You, and, and we were looking for solutions. It's not going to be Jansen Dunn right now. It's not going to be Ryan Watts right now. It's going to be those two guys. Nathan, how do you feel about it? Well, if you're if we're comparing it to where they were going into the Oregon game, then it's not better and it's not going to be better. Like Josh Proctor would still be better than those guys back there. So that's going to be a position that I think is less than what it was for Ohio State to start the year. And I don't know if that gets fixed this year, but I'm like you guys intrigued by where Lathan Ransom gets there this year, what he and Shaw in combination do at that position. Do you think it's a problem? Do you think like like would you say going forward because they can't control the injury? Would you say that you have concerns about that position still with Shaw and Ransom there, or do you think they'll be okay? I do have concerns until they, I see those guys play another real offense. I mean, all offense to, or no offense to Tulsa and Akron. I know that they spread it out wide and did some other things. I want to see what happens when that secondary and the back end of the secondary has to face Maryland, Indiana, et cetera. Steven, how do you feel about that spot? Yeah, I don't think the eraser part of the job, I feel better about it. I think what's going to be missing is the playmaking aspect that Josh Proctor could bring to it. But I think the, you know, keep things in front of you, you know, don't let a 15-yard play turn into a 45-yard play. I feel better about that situation. So last week, Bryson Shaw played 26 snaps against Akron. Lathan Ransom played 44 that's not the end all be all. Cause a lot of that, right. It was a blowout, whatever. Yeah. But I think, I think they wanted Lathan ransom to get some snaps back there to get some experience. Bryson Shaw, but early Bryson Shaw played the first series, Lathan ransom played the second. So I think, I think it very well going forward, maybe one series, one series, one series, one series, one series with those two guys, unless you suddenly get to a spot where it's like one guy's having a bad game and one guy's having a good game. But I think that might be it. And maybe if Lathan is just lights out, Maybe he starts to take more and more and more. But again, I think there's a huge disconnect, I think, at the moment between what Matt Barnes said about Bryson Shaw and what we would look at and say, man, it felt like there were some moments where when Bryson Shaw was deep and kind of supposed to be the eraser back there, some, some there was some stuff that wasn't getting erased. And Matt Barnes said he's been outstanding. His PFF grade this year so far is 57.2, which isn't great. Do you think, Nathan, it's a little bit we are not necessarily seeing what we see has not matched what Matt Barnes said today. Yeah, there's always 
there's always some aspect of it that's like the things that we aren't looking at that they look at. As I was saying before, I think that applies not just to quarterback, but to, to all positions. I, I would also say, though, that I don't think I don't think it has to be the late the ransom comes in and his lights out. I mean, we're only four weeks into this season. So if over the next four weeks, one of those guys, by their internal measures, grades at an 82 and the other one grades at a 73, I'm just making up numbers. Then if it's happening consistently week in, week after week after week, then I think you'll see a lean towards whichever guy is more consistently playing better, even if it's not dramatic. To their point about they said you can't play. I thought my, Matt Barnes be, was being hyperbolic. He's like, you can't play Bryson Shaw 90 snaps, right? Bryson Shaw played 88 snaps yeah. against Tulsa. Yep. Yeah. He never so left the field. Yeah. That is legit. That is, and that's too much. That's too much for that guy. So <laughs> then they were like, we've got to do we got to do something. But we had talked about the, the I mean, I the lack of depth at that position. And in some ways, we had been talking about all they have behind Josh Proctor is Bryson Shaw. And then when it's Bryce that week after Josh Proctor breaks his leg, then you got nothing. They had right. they they hadn't they were just starting to talk about moving Lathan Ransom back there, moving Ryan Watts back there, getting Court Williams ready to play back there. We still don't even know exactly where he is in terms of his readiness to do a lot of things. So they were really caught flat footed that week. All right. Bullet. Rodney Hickman is playing all the time. He is second on the team of defensive snaps behind only Denzel Burke. There has not been a rotation there. We saw Court Williams at Bullet for the first time against Akron, slowly working him back in. Matt Barnes asked about Court Williams on Tuesday, said the same answer that everybody says about Court Williams. He's the hardest working, most beloved, greatest football player teammate that you've ever seen, but he was hurt and he missed football snaps and he's working his way back. I think they will get to a point at bullet where Ronnie Hickman is the guy, but his backup is Court Williams and that Ronnie Hickman is playing 85% of the snaps and Court Williams playing 15 and Craig Young becomes a Craig Young. Yes, because they have used Craig Young. We saw Craig Young basically took Javante Jean-Baptiste's spot last week when he was out. And it's like, well, he's a safety. It's like, well, he's in everything. I don't know if the bullet is going to be more free safety than it was originally. Ronnie Hickman was a safety who became a bullet. Craig Young was a linebacker who became a bullet. The bullet is looking a little more safety-ish lately. But I think Craig Young can help this team. He's got time, but I think that stay on the bullet for now. Steven, if it's a whole lot of Ronnie Hickman, who we have already said is great, and working in some Court Williams there as the backup at bullet, healthier and healthier he gets, how do you feel about that position? I'm fine either way. I would not be upset if Ronnie just played every meaningful snap at bullet either. And the reason why is it's not like with free safety where he's going to be out there for 90 plays because there's different packages that we'll get into after this conversation that take him off the field at times. But if he just, if Ronnie Hickman plays 60 to 70 snaps a game, I'm cool with it, but I'd also be cool if court Williams came along and Ronnie Hickman played 50 to 60 snaps. And then court Williams got 10 to 15 snaps too. I would be fine with that. There's not, I mean, it's only like that bullet's come off the field for a third linebacker at times when right. it's like a heavy look, a run look. That was also in a world when Dallas Gantt was on the yeah. team because Dallas might Gantt came on a bit. Their third linebackers have all left. But but I wonder, that might be Craig Young might get some of those snaps. I think you could keep Ronnie in. I mean, he didn't yeah. play 88 snaps against Tulsa. He played 61. So, but bottom line is, do we feel pretty good about the future of that position the rest of this year? with what we think they'll do there. I think yes, yeah. right? All right, so yeah, that, 
I was going to say real quick, like it was a, almost a year ago to the day I wrote a piece, a post for the site about how um, Ronnie Hickman keeps alive Ohio State's ever churning, like that, 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 that thing that they have where there's like always a top 100 guy that isn't playing that should be playing. And he's like you said before, the guy that was like a little bit banged up at some point in his career. And I, I'm not trying to this might be recency bias because I'm just talking about people who two people who love Ronnie Hickman right now. But it seems like also a guy where we ha- he is he's not like. He hasn't hit the ceiling, right? Like, I think there's still growth there. I think you're going to see better football from him over the course of this year. So then in this setup, we're thinking, I mean, it's mostly two linebackers. And then if they play run-heavy teams, they might have to figure out a third. But again, I, given where they are, I really think that third could be Craig Young. And, and Craig Young's going to all of a sudden be the Craig Young. But it feels like where they are, if you look at the snaps this season and then things are evolving, Taraja Mitchell is sixth in snaps. Cody Simon is seventh in snaps. Tommy Eichenberg is eighth in snaps for this team. They've all played in the 160s in total snaps. Eichenberg was playing a little more early. His role has diminished, uh, I think, a little bit more lately. You know, Tommy Eichenberg snaps so far this year, 49-38-53-21, right? But I think they're going to play two of those three guys almost every snap. And they're going to have only two linebackers in the field most of the time. It's going to be two of those three. I don't know how Neoteote is going to work in. He's coming along slowly. He does not really have a role yet. I don't know. But if it's those three, Nathan, how do you feel about linebacker? And Mitchell should be even higher because he only played three games as opposed to the four that those guys right. have played. Um I'm I'm becoming more optimistic about linebacker. We're starting to I I, I thought in early on I didn't see from actual gameplay a big separation between Simon and Eichenberger and Eichenberg Eichenberg and and that was um and I thought they were both playing kind of adequately and I thought Ohio State needed better than that and I think Simon is starting to give them better than that. He's making some plays. Um, the third linebacker thing is where I think Neotote could come in. That uh, Ryan Day has talked about him being a Sam, so when they need a third linebacker, it, it might be him. I, I, as all along, I've kind of said that he's the guy to kind of keep an eye on for the Trey Sermon thing. Like maybe just because of the time he's missed and everything that's weird things that have gone on with him, that the peak might be later in the season for him. Steven, am I, li- am I leaving out Steel Chambers? The steel chambers was getting, in this yeah, line. That was going to be my next question here. I was going to start with I think the only linebacker I'm 100% sure about is Cody Simon. And I'm not sure he's all the way healthy because he does have that shoulder brace on and he's been wearing it all season. I'm not all the way sure that steel chambers might not be their second best linebacker behind Cody but, Simon better than Taraja Mitchell. Yeah. Um, just because like he's a better athlete, but I'm not sure yet. Which is why I like I said I'm 100 in on Cody Simon's their best linebacker, and then like Steel Chambers, Taraja Mitchell, uh, EA as he gets worked in a little bit more. Some one of those three is like the second linebacker, and then Craig Young being their third linebacker. I'm all the way for that. I don't. It's a think- difficult comparison because they don't ask Steel Chambers to do the things that Taraja Mitchell is asking. They're, they're asking him to do the things he can do, which is what good coaches do. I don't yeah. know that a guy who just made that transition, I don't know that he's an every down linebacker candidate for them anytime in the near future. I think there will be packages for him, but to me, I think Simon and Mitchell probably are your top two. I think Eichenberg works in maybe that role slightly diminishes some. I think Chambers is a sub package guy. 
and and then Neotote's a wild card and you don't know exactly how he's going to work in. But I think, but if those are the five, so maybe I should expand it from three to five. If those are the five and they can mix and match in the sub packages a little bit, but you know, maybe it's just Simon and Mitchell who on first and second down are in there more often Mm -hmm. than not. How do you feel about that, Steven? Okay. It's not, you know, Ooh, I'm not excited about it, but also, I mean, it'll be okay. I think, uh, I think if we'd asked you that question back in the spring, I'd have been like, okay, that's probably their worst group and that's fine. And I might still feel that way. If everybody does what they're supposed to do, this might be their worst group and that's fine. Given what their scheme is. What do you think, Nathan? How would you feel about being able to work it out in a way that can have this defense playing at a level that allows this team to get to the playoff? If that's your linebacker group, is that good enough? It will be good enough if the other groups play better. Is that a terrible answer? I, I think that's the fairest answer, though, right? I, yeah. I don't. I, I don't. It doesn't feel like a group that is going to go out and win you games. I don't think we're going to talk about Ohio State's linebackers winning games the way we might talk about the playmakers in the secondary and the guys up front affecting games. But I and it, it's unfair because then we will be very quick to point out that they lose games if they ever get burned by tight ends and um, shredded by running backs in the second level and that sort of thing, but such, such is life. So I, I, I feel like it's a unit that can be stable enough, but only if the rest of the defense is taking things up a notch. If, if, there, if we're still having – if you're still not getting a pass rush up front, if you're still a leaky secondary once you have to play good offenses again, then it, it just sort of exasperates everything. I think, you know, that we talked a lot. I think there's a lot of consternation from fans early on. They're playing so many different guys. What are they doing? How are they going to work this out? It, it did. It does feel like they found a couple things. I think some of the most problematic guys, their roles have gone down. I think that makes the defense better. And I think they've zeroed, on, zeroed in on some stuff. I think the five guys in the secondary, I think, I think, you, I think there's a decent reason to feel pretty good about Bullet, the two outside corners, the cover safety, and the free safety. I, I think there's a you could have a decent level of confidence in that, and that the linebackers are still a little bit of a work in progress. And again, you know, we know the defensive line deal. They're going to keep rotating guys. They might start playing JTT and Jack Sawyer more. Haskell Garrett's good. We get it. So in general, I can see it. I'm not sure, Stephen. I'm not like headed to my sports book app to say I'm going to bet that they're going to have a great defense by the end of the year but I can see a path to improvement that might let them get where they want to get. If the offense is awesome, I don't know that the defense is going to destroy them the way the defense kind of destroyed them against Oregon. I can see how it's possible that by the time they get to Penn state, they'll have made a jump. Which is the offense is the key to this. I think this is a defense that can against a good team. They're going to give up 24 points. And is the offense going to do its job and score 35 plus every single game the way it should? Because if so, this defense doesn't kill you. I still think Penn State's back seven is probably better than Ohio State's, but you know, but also Ohio State's offense should be better than Penn. Did I say Penn State's? But, I meant to say Penn State's back seven, I think is still better than Ohio State's, but Ohio State's offense at its peak should be yeah. better than Penn State's offense. So I think I think that's a good game. I think that's a very, very, very interesting game right now. But I think they just had to get better, and I think they are. I think you can see it in the scheme. I think the scheme adjustment is better. 
And I think the personnel decisions, you can, you can see how it can work. All right, let's get out of here. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you reading at cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. We'd love to have it. Certainly appreciate that. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Wednesday morning, we're moving up when we release the college football playoff show. So that's been getting out later in the day on Wednesday. That's going to be out overnight Wednesday now. So like your drive time Wednesday morning, you're going to have this Buckeye talk if you're driving to work. And then you can also, if you have a long drive to work or if you're just doing some errands, you got stuff to do. I don't know. You're going for a run. You're on the treadmill. You'll also have that big Wednesday college football playoff show, which is every platform free. We have made that Tuesday show for the college football playoff show, a a bonus premium podcast that's available only to Apple podcast users for $2.99. You pay, you get it for a whole month, 75 cents an episode, but the Wednesday pod has not been affected. That's out there as usual. If you're subscribed to that, if you're not subscribed to that, we'd love to have you try it. I'm asking you as a favor. If you listen to this podcast, we have a lot of listeners to this podcast. We don't, there are more listeners to this podcast than there are to the college football player show, which is how it should be because you're more invested in your own team. We've been doing this for a long time and we've built up that loyalty and we don't have that in the other show yet. But I, as a favor to me, I'm, I'm asking you to buy my book. We ask you to do the text and I'm asking you to listen to another podcast. Try it as a favor. And I'm grateful. College football playoff show, wherever you get podcasts, you can find that Wednesday episode every week. Going to be out overnight. And then that Tuesday show, that's the bonus premium pod. If you're on Apple, you can get it for 75 cents an episode. It's $2.99 a month to do it. Thanks to you guys for making it happen for us. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.